0: at kpfa.org. It is 3 p.m. Stay tuned now for a Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending Nice and tidy It's a rule I learned in school Get your money Every Friday Happy ending
1: This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw Today, today is a Tuesday. Um, Let's see, I think it's still July, right? It's July the 17th, 2012. Now, on this date, or perhaps it was yesterday. Uh, anyway, more than half a century ago in 1959... Billie Holiday died um, only 44, Lady Day. Some people called her an icon, an artist, essential to our culture. Yes, the past is always present. Um, Yes, whatever was, is. She's now a part of the heart of our nation. She was also, of course... A woman, a black musician, part of the song, the music that accompanied the 20th century. You know, you've always got to have a theme playing underneath, yes. I was listening to Billie Holiday in the small hours last night. Didn't sleep much, got to me, I'm afraid. I think maybe it's my age, uh, (laughs) uh, I don't want to indulge in what, uh, Tony Morrison, one of Tony Morrison characters talks about, re-memory, it's a character in Beloved, uh, I love my re-memory, uh, but you know, nostalgia ain't what it used to be, boys and girls, uh, be careful, uh. I think when I look back on it that, uh, I, I, I do get, I, I do get too sentimental, uh. Maybe it's because my mother and my older sister both died when they were 44, uh. Substance abuse was a large part of the masochism I grew up with. It soaked. Our sensibilities, actually, um, if I remember correctly, was a subject for shame when I was very young. Uh, At the same time, it was kind of the fashion to die for love, at least for women, especially women poets, women artists. Uh, Of course, it wasn't love, really, just heartbreak. Uh, Romanticism kills, of course, that's all over now. Nobody does that anymore in today's world, you know. Uh, you, you've got to be your own man. Uh, your only choice, well, you've got to be either a feminist or a masochist. You can't be both. I thought about that stuff. Well, you know, as the dawn came up this morning, uh, uh uh-huh, pain, David Remnick, the editor of the New Yorker, (laughs) he says, there is no pain, we will not publish, uh, anyway, he was writing about Nora Ephron, who recently died at the age of 71, Uh, uh, a long life, but, uh, certainly more of a life than the women, uh, I've been talking about, I think Ephron had leukemia, uh, David Remnick points out that while Nora Ephron was sometimes compared to the uh, the late satirist Dorothy Parker, she nora did not suffer dorothy parker's um, let 's call it her dark side uh the alcoholism, the tragic sense um, uh, the abortions, all that weepy stuff uh As Edna St. Vincent Millay says, weepers are the sea's brides. I mean this the drowning way. Whether it's Dorothy Parker or Edna St. Vincent Millay, my mother and my sister were devoted to the works of the... uh, Let's just call them the romantic women poets of the early 20th century. Of course, they loved the 19th century Victorians as well. Uh, I know that in today's world, we're supposed to be grateful that so many women writers don't need all that stuff anymore. We don't need to suffer. We don't need to have a dark side. Uh, I don't know. Some people insist that you have to suffer for your art. Uh, it's a toss-up. <laughs> I had so many stories about the uh, the Brontes in that little parsonage uh, in Yorkshire, but I'll save those for another time. Uh, I think uh, Gertrude Stein would be the best example of a woman writer who had fun, uh, lots of fun, who lived a positive existence and had a lifelong, terrific love affair with Alice Talkless. Uh She had a few bumps when she was young, but uh, I think Gertrude Stein is the, uh, what is it, the my guide for the new age. Uh, on the other hand, Dorothy Parker had some fun, too. Uh, I think maybe some of her fun came out of the, well, the experience that she had that was so grim that, you know, she had to. Um, she had to fight that, as she says. Uh, well, she said that uh, humor is not so much a weapon as it is a shield. She said it can never be a weapon, but it can be a shield. I think it's both. Anyway, laughter can be rebellion. I think yes. I think. Uh, is that uh, Freud says that. He says that that's the way, one of the ways to fight. Uh, (laughs) As Parker says, though to good I never come, inseparable my nose and thumb. Here's a couple of Dorothy Parker's quips. I just love these short, short poems. (laughs) Yes. Two-volume novel. We used to use this in when I was in college, yes, we put this on the mirror. Two-volume novel, the sun's gone dim, and the moon's turned black. For I loved him, and he didn't love back. <laughs> anyway, Dorothy, I think Dorothy, uh, Dorothy nailed it. Um, Here's another one I love, uh, called Anecdote. Someone said the other day, said, I'm in my anecdotage. I remember Ronnie Reagan in his old age, I, I used to say that he did government by anecdote. Dorothy Parker writes, So silent I, when love was by, he yawned and turned away, but sorrow clings. To my apron strings, I have so much to say. <laughs> I remember when I first started trying to uh, imitate Dorothy Parker, I would rewrite her stuff. Let's see, what have I done here? Yes, I wrote, oh, but satire swells my beaten breast. I have so much to slay. Yes, it's uh, good practice. uh. On the other hand, she has her melancholy days. Here she writes, for a sad lady. And let her loves, when she is dead, write this above her bones. No more she lives to give us bread. Who asked her, only stones <laughs> my mother loved this kind of um, this kind of satire it's called comment oh life is a glorious cycle of song a medley of extemporania, and love is a thing that can never go wrong and I am Marie of Romania. (laughs) And unfortunate coincidence. By the time you swear you're his, shivering and sighing, and he vows his passion, is infinite, undying. Lady, make a note of this. One of you is lying I think maybe my favourite is uh, inventory Four be the things I am wiser to know Idleness, sorrow a friend and a foe four be the things I've been better without Love, curiosity, freckles, and doubt. Three be the things I shall never attain. Envy, content, and sufficient champagne. Three be the things I shall have till I die. Laughter and hope. And a sock in the eye. (laughs) And she goes on pretty much in that vein. Uh, Yes, I think it's it's the basic, her basic philosophy. Yes, she has a little four-line poem called Philosophy of Dorothy Parker. The philosophy of Dorothy Parker is as follows. If I should labor through daylight and dark, consecrate valorous, serious, true, then on the world I may blazon my mark. And what if I don't? And what if I do? Now, here is my mother's very favorite. She and her best friend used to quote this one endlessly. Yes, it's called Indian Summer. (laughs) I used to sit on the beach in La Jolla and read these poems, and Mother would always end with Indian summer, right? In youth, it was a way I had to do my best to please and change with every passing lad to suit his theories. But now I know the things I know and do the things I do. And if you do not like me so to hell, my love with you, I think, yes, I think most of these poems I'm reading from "Laments for the living um uh, mm-hmm. always yes her um her biggest problem is falling in love, and it's then her solution to everything uh. <laughs> Uh, One more in that vein. This one is called Observation. Then we'll go into a little bit more of Dorothy's background. Observation. If I don't drive around the park, I'm pretty sure to make my mark. If I am in bed each night by ten, I may get back my looks again. If I abstain from fun and such, I'll probably amount to much. But I shall stay the way I am, because I do not give a damn. (laughs) Of course, she did. She always did give a damn. I'm looking here for uh, some notes I made years ago. I reviewed a a biography of Dorothy Parker, written by Marion Mead, It's the best one written so far. Uh, I think maybe we need to take another look at Dorothy. Uh, Margaret Mead's biography was written, well, published in 1987, and the title is, What Fresh Hell Is This? I recommend it if you can find it at the library, or Penguin, I think, may still have copies for sale. Title again is, What Fresh Hell Is This? by Margaret Mead, M-E-A-D-E, Mead. I remember using it here on KPFA in, well, I think the late 80s, right? uh uh Dorothy Parker, taking a bite of the apple, I remember. Uh, It was back when I used to think it was so important to remind people that women that women are allowed to say how they feel, uh, but of course they have to do it the way Dorothy did. Uh, What was it Emily Dickinson said? Tell the truth, but tell it slants. (laughs) I can't imagine the kind of wisecracks Dorothy Parker would make if I called her a foremother. Uh, She's definitely one of the... uh, role models Uh, that shaped my thought Uh, but most of her conversation was unprintable because like W.C. Fields much of her wit was wasted because it was too obscene for publication oh to be a fly on the wall Uh, for me Dorothy Parker is mother wit uh She was the feminine mystique of the jazz age. She was self-destructive, self-doubting, self-centered, certainly. She was a woman who did not cook, nor clean, nor cater to the needs of others. She lived in a hotel, she said, yes. She said she lived there because all she needed was a, a room to lay a hat and a few friends. She was... Yes, she was born in, uh, 1893. The movie, the best movie so far, was directed by Alan Rudolph. Uh, I believe he's a protege of Altman, Robert Altman, right. Alan Rudolph's movie was titled Mrs. Parker and the Round Table. Yeah, Robert Altman produced this one. Uh, I'm sure you can find that. I'm sure it's available in the video stores. Uh I liked I liked the portrait of the 1920s. I'm not sure about the characters. It's so hard. Uh Edna Ferber, dear dear. Uh Anyway, you know, they uh they presented us with the the folks at the Algonquin Round Table. Uh You know, Alexander Woolcott, Robert Benchley, all those people. Um, I was thinking, yes, Jennifer Jason Leigh played Dorothy Parker. Hmm. Oh, well, I'll think about that tomorrow. Um, she She certainly tried hard, and I liked her readings of the poems, but... I, I wish I could make a movie about Dorothy Parker. My title would be Girls Who Wear Glasses. You remember the, the line. Girls, uh, who, let's see, men never make passes at girls who wear glasses. That always hurt my feelings. <laughs> I think, I think I would like to make a careful film of her play. The Ladies of the Corridor. Uh, that play was produced on Broadway in 1953. It closed after six weeks. In the Marion Mead biography, the author writes, uh, Even though the New York Times critic thought everyone knew old women led pathetic lives, without having to go to the theater, to be reminded, still, five of the eight New York reviewers admired the play. It especially impressed George Jean, George Jean Nathan. He voted it the best American play of the season in the drama critic circle, yes, George Jean Nathan thought it was quote completely honest. well, boys and girls, you know that honest is not always entertaining uh obviously <laughs> obviously the play was not popular I love it it's it's uh, it's grim let's face it, it was honest but Nobody wants to know what women's lives are really like, as Muriel Rockhauser says. If one woman told the truth about her life, the world would split open. Uh, The biographer states that Dorothy Parker came to think of the play, uh, Ladies of the Corridor, uh, as a feminist work that warned women to, quote, stop sitting around and saying it's a man's world. The author writes, although the wasted lives of her characters disturbed Parker, she was inclined to believe that their illness, distress, was rooted not so much in age as in manlessness. Ah, yes, they should be better trained. They should be adjusted to live a life without a man, right? (laughs) What's that cartoon I think I'm becoming the man I meant to marry, right? Uh, the biographer says that Dorothy Parker herself had yet to resolve this problem the problem of manlessness. In the movie, we see her heartbreak over the, uh, well, Charles MacArthur, I guess, the great love of her life. And, uh, you know, abortions, that sort of thing. Uh, the author of the biography goes on to describe Dorothy Parker's fears of becoming a crone, that is, a wise old woman. And of course, it details the alcoholism, the suicidal behavior, seeking solace from younger men, and so on and so on and so forth. When Dorothy Parker wrote the play, she was, uh, let's see, she was pushing 60, she was 59. I read it as a college student. Uh, it certainly helped me understand my mother's mythos, the middle-aged despair that caused my mother to give up food and turn to booze and cigarettes, never stop smoking except to sleep. It helped. That mythos helped end so many lives. Uh, Parker was strong enough. She lived to be 73 in spite of suicide attempts and all that substance abuse, Uh, I think the thing that shocked me the most was the unkind birthday present she got on her 100th birthday. She was, uh, of course, much beloved by the New Yorker magazine, and uh, they ran an obit, uh, let's see, on her birthday in 1993. And, uh, I'm afraid the photo was merciless. I cut it out, and then I thought, no, I won't keep it. But it was one of those Richard Avedon portraits. I I think it was taken when Dorothy was 65. I described it as roadkill. Dorothy Parker was a curious uh, woman. She, Her birth name was Rothschild, and, uh, of course, she was, a, as she said, I'm just... Uh, sweet little Jewish girl trying to be cute. (laughs) She married a man called Charles Parker. Uh, The marriage was brief and ended rather sadly. Uh, Charles Parker was uh, pretty much wiped out by World War I, Um, drugs, that kind of thing. But uh, she liked the name and she kept it. She said it was, this is a quote, a nice, clean name, oh Dorothy, my goodness <laughs> anyway uh that is that is um, a profound statement, but of course that was the times that was the times uh Parker wrote her own epitaph. Excuse my dust, she rode the zeitgeist, she certainly expressed the spirit of her age. Those were the years when women burst from the corsets of conformity, only to find themselves in what Parker called a fresh hell. I think of Andrea Dworkin's little story, uh, what was it, uh, The New Woman's Broken Heart, always making... A fresh hell for ourselves. Uh, the flappers, uh, I think they too were putting us on. Dorothy liked to call herself names. She called herself a slut, cheap, that kind of thing. In my day, we called ourselves bitches, that kind of thing. And a few other words that I'm not sure we are allowed to use yet. They, they say we are allowed to use some four-letter words, but I'm not going to risk it. Anyway, the truth is that the sexual mores of her time are not that different than the sexual mores of ours, blind alleys of impotence, inadequacy, Victorian hang-ups. I don't know whether our problems are mostly overkill. What was it she used to say? Yes, Uh, Malay used to say, what should I be but a harlot and a nun? (laughs) She knew that sex was something you were supposed to be good at. She was not quite five feet tall, and she certainly slept with anyone she wanted to. Um, She did say poets alone should kiss and tell. She was too fond of her dear friend Robert Benchley to sleep with him, probably wise. Uh, I always think of their significant elder, Oscar Wilde, uh, because they were all such terminal romantics and sexual suicides. They were looking for escape through ecstasy. Uh, <laughs> yes. In the face of Victorian morality, what can you do? Uh, I think that for uh, for romantic writers... An obligatory biographical detail is always early loss. Dorothy Parker's mother died when she was five. She screamed her head off, but her mother did not return. Her father remarried. She hated her stepmother, and then this poor woman died when Dorothy was ten. Guilt was added to the mix. (laughs) Her writing is awash with greys with the rain that fell when her mother was buried. She likes to imagine her own death. Oh, let it be a night of lyric rain and singing breezes when my bell is tolled, I have so loved the rain that I would hold last in my ears its friendly dim refrain I think of the late middle ages when they rang six bells for the death of a woman and nine for the death of a man (laughs) Uh, I don't have time to read the poem that Dorothy wrote uh, about all of her friends her friends were not very nice to her Uh, Never mind, next time, next time. She left her estate to the NAACP. And her executor, Lillian Hellman, said she must have been drunk when she did it. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next week at this same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can.
0: It's time for the fifteenth annual Progressive Festival, Sunday, July twenty second at Walnut Park, downtown Petaluma, featuring Tony Award winning San Francisco Mime Tube performing for the greater good or the last election. Speakers include Medea Benjamin, comedian Will Durst, Mickey Huff of Project Censored, CJ Holmes of Homeowners for Justice, plus speakers from Occupy Petaluma and the Committee for Immigrant Rights network with many progressive organizations with informational booths and enjoy hot tamales, drinks and other goodies. Here, Calypso, Compa, and other Haitian styles performed by Diego Jamal, The Whistler, co-sponsored by KPFA, Sonoma County Peace and Justice Center, Committee for Immigrant Rights, Project Censored, and others produced by the Petaluma Progressives and Occupy Petaluma. Benefits several nonprofits, wheelchair accessible. For more information, call 707-763-8134 or see progressivefestival.org.